Jeremiah chapter 2. Last week we introduced the book of Jeremiah and we, we talked about his ministry and his calling and we focused probably a lot on the historical background to the book of Jeremiah and the historical background of course being that he ministered during the last five kings of Judah. And during that time, we said there were different world powers that were rising up, warring against one another, conquering one another. Assyria had been conquered, Babylon rose up, and it, had, uh, it was in the process of conquering Judah. And during the ministry of Jeremiah, they considered him to be a traitor because he said that they were going to be overcome by the nation of Babylon. They were not to resist because it would be senseless that God was going to punish them for a period of 70 years. And we know that came to pass. So Jeremiah was an unpopular prophet. He's called the weeping prophet because he alone had a message that was one of God judging his people for their sins. Jeremiah chapter 2, for example, verse 1, one after introducing who he was and his calling, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, And then he went on, and the Lord said to them how that they were like a bride unto him in the beginning, and he, he loved them, they were faithful to him, he took care of them, he provided for them, and so forth. But then down in verse 12, he says, after they had moved on into idolatry, Be astonished, O ye heavens, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So that's what we focused upon. The cisterns that he's speaking about here, broken cisterns, these were the man-made sources of water that they were thirsting after, trying to, uh, you know, the Bible says that water is a source of life, like food. So their source of life and pleasure were things that man had come up with rather than, than God, rather than his spirit, which he speaks about as the fountains of living water. And he goes on, if we were to read all of this, he comes down to like verse 26, I believe, and he says, As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their priests, their prophets, they say to a, to a stock, Thou art my father, and to a stone, thou hast brought me forth. For they've turned their backs unto me, and not their face, but in their time of trouble, well then that's different. Then they rise and say, save us. So they had gotten into idolatry. They were worshiping stocks and rocks and trees and different things of that sort. Of course, when they got into trouble, they wanted God's help. But when everything was going right in their life, then they just did not look to the source of the living water that he had provided them. They had hewed out cisterns 
man-made areas of water that were to, to sustain them. So we said when the Bible speaks about living water, it's spoken of in a lot of places in the Bible, but we focused on two, and I'd like to just kind of mention those again to lay a foundation for what I want to say today. One was over in John chapter 4 where the woman of Samaria met Jesus at the well. And he said unto her, in verse 13, when they're talking about the water that she is um, carrying and so forth, verse 10, Jesus said to her in John chapter 4, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, you would, you would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. So he's bringing up that living water that was spoken about by Jeremiah. Well, the woman then went on to say in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of this water will thirst again. Meaning the literal water, but there's also a lesson there because you don't get genuine satisfaction from the things that the world provides. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I will give him, he'll never thirst. He'll always have what is necessary for life in this life as well as the next. But the water that I shall give him give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And of course she went on to say, well then, Give me that water. And he went on to say in verse 22, now this is the Samaritans again, he goes, you worship, you know not what, but we know what we, wor- we, know what we worship for salvation of the, is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now John 7, when he spoke there to the woman at the well, he talked about living water. And then over in... John chapter 7, it comes up again. And this is the one where he is at the Feast of Tabernacles. We did a little history on that to help you understand the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called the Feast of Booths. For eight days, the people of Israel would live in a booth outside their home or outside the city gates of Jerusalem, wherever they were at. They'd build a little hut. And they'd live in that hut with no conveniences from home. And on seven days, first seven days, amongst other things of the ceremony, the priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam and they would gather a pitcher. They would gather pitchers. They'd take it to the temple steps. We showed you pictures of this. And then they would pour that water out on the steps while there was great worshiping and thanking and and praising God. And what God was doing was he was reminding them about how that when they were in the wilderness wandering, they needed water. They complained about a lot of things. They did. They got tired of the manna. And they, got, uh, they wanted meat. And they wanted food. And they're complaining, saying, Moses brought us out here in the wilderness to die. We don't have any water to drink. And God said, take the stone or take your rod and point to the rock, and it'll bring forth water. I'm not really going by the notes. You're looking at them. This is, but we just thought that is a primitive camp, I 
Yeah, it was, well, it was. It was they built little huts and they'd live in it. Outside, they didn't have any convenience as a home. Well, this is commemorating all that because God took care of them. Now, Moses hit the rock, and remember God chasing him for that. He couldn't go into the promised land for that. But they did this on a regular basis to be reminded of how that God loved them and provided for them and watched out for them and protected them and gave them all of their needs. That was his wife. They were his children. And he took care of them always. So they reminded on that. Well, on the eighth day of the feast, which is the last day, and they didn't do the water thing at that point, Jesus stood up in the midst of that, which was not at all common. And they were hunting him out. They wanted to kill him if they could find him. His uh, family said, don't go because they're, they want to kill you. But he stood up, John chapter 7, if you're there, he stood up in the midst of this feast. And he said unto them, well, let's see if I can find it here. John 7, 37, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood. And he said, if any man thirst, now that's really the key to my message today, but I'll mention it in a moment. If any man thirst, if, you're, if you really are desiring the, the life that God has planned for you, that he has called you to from the foundation of the world, if you really want to know him in a more intimate, personal way, then let him come unto me and drink. You have to turn away from the cisterns that men make for satisfaction to life and turn unto the well of living water which he has provided for you, which is to come into us and be a well springing up, he says, unto everlasting life. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of him, out of us, out of our heart, shall flow rivers of living water, so we can access this living water and it can be a source of living water not only for our own needs but also for the needs of others because it, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 39 says, This spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what he was talking about there was the Holy Spirit. And so we went on then to speak in regard to a message relating to that. And I'd like to kind of come back to this again and emphasize something in a little bit different way. Something that has, I really, in my heart, believe it's something very, very important for you and I to experience. But I can't make anybody experience. It has to be a desire on a person's heart to want what Jesus is offering. All I can do is present it. I can hand you a glass of water, but if you don't want to drink it, I can't make you drink it. If God hands you something that says, this is the means that I have provided for you to experience life and life abundantly, and you decide that something else is more enjoyable and pleasant, 
then you'll reject what he's offering and take the world and do just exactly what Jeremiah was anointed to say to Israel. You have forsaken the well of living water and taken on broken cisterns. That's the basic idea. Well, on the eighth day, Jesus stood up and as he began to speak, he said unto them, um, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. He talked about being thirsty. Isaiah 55.1 is one scripture goes back to the book of Isaiah. We read Isaiah chapter 44 last week. But Isaiah 55 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Come, buy, without money, without price. He offers it, you see. But you have to be willing to go after it. That water that he's talking about is what's going to satisfy and provide for us the pleasures and enjoyments and life in general. Life and life abundantly. That's what he's referring to. But God has a plan for us to enter into that living water, into the enjoyment of life, into a life that he has planned for us, just like he did with Israel and Judah. But man also has a plan, and man's plan, they simply choose to follow it rather than what God is providing them. They make cisterns of broken cisterns of money, of fame, careers, legacies, President Obama, for example, he's just dead set on his legacy. His first term legacy wants to be Obamacare. And while you probably don't hear this too much on the uh, national news, but on other sources of the news, there's a lot of the insurance providers that make Obamacare what it is, that they're bailing. It's crumbling. It's falling. And yet he somehow wants that to be his legacy. And he's over in Paris right now. His heart's desire is for, for climate change to go through. He has a plan for it, which will just bring a lot of environmental changes and different things on the world whereby he can somehow control the climate by controlling envir environmental things. And even though there are multitudes of, of scientists and people, many, many have cried out and said, this isn't right. It's distorted and twisted information. Some just come right out plain and say it's just plain hoax. That's his legacy. His, his second term legacy. That's what he wants. He wants to be known for Obamacare and known for climate change. And the Europeans are getting a little upset because they're trying to fight off terrorism and all he could talk about, even when the president of France was over here, it was still sprinkled during the speech with climate change because that's what he's just got a dead set desire for that people have a dead set desire for money and for fame Steve Jobs was a man brilliant if you want to consider uh, business and inventive things and so forth that he he and a few others came up with Apple and Apple came up with a tremendous amount of technological things that we here, enjoy. We can ask you to raise your hands as to who has iPads and iTouches and whatnot. But the man died of cancer. And on his deathbed, he said, there's just one thing that I can't get. One thing I can't seem to get hold of. 
and that was his health. He gained everything else, but he died because he didn't have health. You know, there is, there is one source of health that goes beyond the medical profession, and that's the health that God offers us, his God. You know, I, I pray daily for Isabel, but, you know, sometimes I cry out and say, Lord, you don't need to put a new heart in that little girl. You created this heart. You can take what's deformed and diseased and deliver it and heal it and cure it and make it whole. And I cry out for him to do that, for him to get all the glory, not share it with the medical profession and their technologies and so forth. But we serve a God, a miracle-working God. Why he does sometimes doesn't bring forth these miracles like we would like, I'm sure there are many different answers. But he reminded Israel when they weren't receiving miracles, he reminded them of the miracle working that he did. And he told them that if they'd get back to drinking out of the well of living water, they would experience these things. And I'm not putting any comments on the Sweeney's. They need a lot of prayer. That'd be an extremely difficult trial to go through. But what Jesus was talking about with this well of living water, he was talking about the Holy Spirit that was being sent for the purpose of guiding our lives so that we could obtain God's plan for life, which can be summed up in 3 John 2 where he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health. He doesn't want us having to beg for our needs. He doesn't want us to be uh, having to scrap to pay our bills. He doesn't want us to be weak and aching and hurting. He wants us to be in good health. He wants us to have a blessed life. But he wants us to obtain those things by his way. And his way is seeking first the kingdom of God. It's drinking from that well of living water that he's talking about. And that well of living water that he's talking about is what? It is the Holy Spirit. As children of God, we should be led, directed and led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Romans 8 says. So let me raise a question this morning and answer it. And you, this isn't something new, but it's something that maybe some of you really don't fully understand in your heart. And others, it's good just to be reminded of it. The question I'm raising is, who was the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And why was he sent? Well, take a minute and think about Jesus' ministry for a minute. Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk with him in Palestine? Huh? I mean, what it, what it would have been like to have the master with you. I mean, every time you got into a tight spot, every time a problem came along, he was always right there on the spot, to help us, help them out, to deliver for them and provide for them in every situation, no matter what it was. There was one time, for example, where in Matthew 17, 24, and we might turn there for some of these. Sometimes if we look up too much scripture, I end up going a little bit long and I don't get all of my thoughts said. But in Matthew 17, 24, it says, when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Does your master pay tribute? Now we talked about what tribute was. It was like a, um, a tax that was put upon people because they were conquered by a greater nation. And he said, Peter said yes. And when he was coming to the house, 
Jesus prevented him or he stopped him and said. Now Jesus knew by word of knowledge what had been said to Peter, but Peter didn't know that Jesus knew. He was, the Holy Spirit knew, and that's how Jesus knew, was he, by the Holy Spirit, revealed it to him. So Jesus said, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute of their own children or strangers? Well, do you think that the children of, of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar, his own flesh and blood, do you think that they had to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar? No. They weren't under tribute to him, but the children of Judah were. And that's kind of what he's talking about. So he said, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Are their children or strangers? And Peter said unto him, strangers. And Jesus said unto him, then are the children free? Now, since God is the ruler of this world, God owns it, it's his kingdom. It isn't manifested yet down here like for the millennium, but God still owns it all. Then we ought to be free from paying taxes. <laughs> and there's some Christians that use that to try to scoot out of doing that. But anyways, he said, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast in a hook, take up a fish that first comes up, and when you've opened, your, opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money in it. Take and give that for me and for them, for thee. Think about it. I mean, the tribute money, they aren't, the taxes were going to be collected. They didn't have it. He's right there with them. Just, just go fishing. First fish, get the coin, pay your taxes, enjoy the rest of the day out fishing. I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't that have been a blessing to be able to be with a man that provided for all your needs like that? And that wasn't the only place that was, that was there. There were other times. In Matthew 7, 24, for example, he had been out ministering to thousands of people and he made the comment, or his disciples said to him, Lord, it's getting around lunchtime. Don't you think you ought to tell them to go ahead and break for lunch and let them go on out and try to find their own food? Jesus said, no. We'll feed them. We'll take care of them. We'll feed them. And they're going like, yeah, right. This is, it was either 3,000 or 5,000. There were two groups. How are we going to feed all these people? And Jesus looked around and goes, well, there's a little boy's lunch right over there. We'll take that. And so he multiplies, you know the story, multiplies the loaves and the fishes. When they got done, they had a umpteen many baskets more than what they ever started with. Now, that was the kind of man that the disciples were walking with for three years. He was always right there beside them, and any kind of need or problem came up, he was there to help them out. Always. Never failed. There was never a faith failure. He did encourage them to believe on their own. He did encourage them to follow his example because as a man, he wasn't doing that by his own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that was within him. We're told that after his baptism, he was filled with the Spirit. And all people can remember that whole thing is they saw a dove. So they make pictures out of doves and song awards out of doves. And they miss the most important thing. I'm not anti-dove. I'm taking pictures of doves. We used to have one on the wall over here. When the group left, they took it with them, thank God. <laughs> I never liked it anyway. Not only was it ugly, but it proves my point. 
That thing on the wall couldn't have done us a bit of good. I mean, you know, you want wisdom on something. Like, for example, you want to buy a home. And so what should you do? Say, walk over to it and say, Dove, should I buy my home or not? <laughs> well, I'm making a point. Just to be funny, but, but real. Because that's what they had done with stocks, rocks, and trees. Hello, that's what he's saying. Well, anyways... He sat them down, multiplied the loaves and the fishes, and they thought, wow, not only did they get fed, but we've got all kinds of leftovers here. And there were other times where things would come up. They're out on a boat, and a storm comes up, and it's filling up with water, and like it's going to sink, and he's sleeping, and they wake him up, and he, yeah, he gets on them for their not using their faith, but he stilled the storm. And they're just like, oh, how could a man do this? He had a phenomenal amount of power. He had a tremendous amount of power. So here was a situation for three years that they had him with them. And every, every crisis, every problem, every trial, every situation they ran into, he was always right there to provide for them. Paul speaks of him. And you might look at this just so you remember where it's at. In Hebrews 6.19, he refers to him as the anchor of our soul. Hebrews 6 and verse 19. There's a message in itself right there with the anchor to our soul. He says, he's talking about two immutable things uh, that confirm his word. But at the, the last one, verse 19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered into that within the veil. We have a high priest in the heavens who is interceding on our behalf. That just like Peter, even though he denied the Lord, was forgiven and did not fail. We have a, a tremendous intercessor that is standing before the Father interceding on our behalf. That's what Romans 8 is all about, that even though Satan may be accusing the brethren, Jesus is there on our, for us. But the point that I'm trying to make is, here he was with them for three years. That's how long his ministry lasted, for three years. And it gets down to the end of his ministry, and he starts telling them, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to leave. In John 13, the chapter prior to what we've read about in John 14, prior to that, in John 13, he washed their feet. He was giving them an example because in the chapter prior to that, they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. One wanted to sit on the right, one wanted to sit on the left. He wanted to emphasize to them that what he wanted them to be was a servant. But what got all that started on the right-hand, left-hand thing um, as to where they were going to sit, what got it started was he started talking about leaving. Started talking about being arrested and and all this, and they didn't understand what he was talking about. They thought, finally, the Christ is going to take and manifest his kingdom on the earth. Finally, we're going to get delivered from Roman rule. Finally, we're going to be have a king that's going to rule over us. They were expecting him to rise up, conquer his enemies, take over. They didn't understand the crucifixion of the cross. 
And so he was trying to emphasize that over and over and over again. I've mentioned that a lot, and I'm going to teach it again. But what you come to back to John 14 is that's the context of what's there. He's been with them. This is now toward the end of his ministry. He's been with them. He's been walking with them. He's been providing for them. He's been teaching them, instructing them. He's been been their right-hand man, so to speak. But now they're troubled. Now they keep hearing him talking about leaving. And so this is the context. He says, verse 1 of chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. If my father's In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. He went on to talk about how that he was the way, the truth, and the life. But then he comes back to what is said there in John 14. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to pray the Father that he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him not, but you know him for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. That word comfortless in the Greek, if you look it up, is I will not leave you to be an orphan. The Greek word, I don't know, I, I don't know if I've got it in my notes here. It may come up on the next page. But he said, basically, I'm not going to leave you to be another, to an orphan. And he also said here, like, for example, verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another, that's alos in the Greek, that means something or someone other than himself, but of equal value or of equal, uh, that will be equal to him. And comforter in the Greek in verse 16 is paraclete, which he says advocate or helper. And that's what Hebrews 6 is talking about, where he's called the anchor of our soul. There's a lot of deep theological meat here I'm not trying to get into this morning. But what he basically said was, he knows that he's going to leave, and they have been relying on him. He's always been there for them. Anything that comes up, he's there. And now he's going to leave. And what he says is, I'm going to leave, but really I'm coming back. Only I'm going to be here in you if you'll be thirsty enough to receive him. I'm going to be there in you to lead you, guide you, direct you, teach you. And that's the power. That is the, the importance of the Holy Spirit being in us and not creating some kind of man-made Substitute. That's stupid. We need to understand what the Bible says and stay with it. If it's not popular, praise God it wasn't with Jeremiah and it wasn't with Jesus either. Here's what someone once wrote about the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is is God himself. A person with whom you can enjoy a personal relationship. Now I'll use the word person, which is not a problem. 
We're not tre- teaching this morning on the triunity or, the, or what a lot of churches call the trinity. And they'll sing it in church, you know, every, every Sunday practically. They take up an offering. And then as the elders are bringing up the offering to the altar, they're singing, Thank God from whom all blessings flow. Thank him all ye creatures here below. And on and on. But then they'll end it with a... Um, Honoring Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So they hear, the denominational people hear a lot about the three in one, which is the Trinity. Well, God's not three men in one. But there are three personalities in this one God. And those three personalities are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm using person as this man theologically does in the sense of one that has the rights to them. So he says, hold the Holy Spirit is God himself, a person with whom you can enjoy a personal relationship. This is very, very important. Listen to me. Because I, I really believe there are a lot of Christians that they believe the Father's a person. They believe that Jesus is a person, but they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that was sent to take the place of the one who left. And so it's no wonder they're not experiencing the blessings as they should. Anyways, he is not an impersonal force or power or essence within the universe. He's not some Buddhist thought of God, some Hindu thought of God. He is rather a person who can speak to you and to whom you can speak. He's a person who can guide you, who can help you, who can strengthen you, who can teach you the truth of God. The Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God works today in the world, in the church, in the lives of individual believers, and that's why we need to become acquainted with the Holy Spirit, for he's the one whom the Lord has placed over us to guide us, direct us, empower us, and bring us into that well of living water. John 14, 16, 18 says, If you read it again, he says, I I will pray the Father. Look at it again. (coughs) Verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he, the Father, shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That's a personal pronoun. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is not an essence. The Holy Spirit is a person. Yes, he doesn't have a human, he doesn't have a a, a body, a glorified body, but he still is a spirit being. And Jesus went on to say, he's going to, that he may abide with you forever. He says it's the spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world can't receive, and they don't, because they can't see him. Now, if they could see him, or if we can make something that they think he looks like, then they can receive that. <laughs> They're good at that. Neither know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. Now, if he dwells with you, and even if he's in you, maybe you've asked for the Holy Spirit to come into your life, to lead you and guide you and direct you. But can you talk to him? Can he talk to you? Do you know when he's telling you what to do? Do you know when he's telling you 
what truth is? Do you, is he like Jesus in your life when they were walking on this earth? If they had a problem, they could turn to him and he was right there to help them. Is he that way in your life this morning? He is in mine. And I know he's in my wife's because we've had these conversations. And there are many times where if maybe I'm not quite sure about something and I go to do something that I think is maybe, you know, that it's me, the Holy Spirit will tell her that's not him, that's not right. And she'll, and she'll speak up. And she'll say, I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to do. We have a personal... We, I came out of the institutional church. There was no personal relationship. Church was joining a club. Church was joining an organization. Church was listening to some guy stand up and talk. There was no personal relationship. I didn't know anything about this. After getting a new heart, inviting the person of the Holy Spirit to come into my life, to take over and lead me and guide me and direct me and help me and give me that living water... I didn't know any of that until I got saved. And I'm not sure that a lot of Christians, professing Christians today, know of that experience. If they do, I don't understand how somebody could profess to be a Christian, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe even talk in tongues, talk up, stand up and talk about the blessings they've received from God. And in five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, they're gone. They've got nothing to do with Christianity. They're sitting at the bars this morning watching sports and drinking and making comments sometimes. I, I've heard some of some that used to sit right with us that now they, they talk about being offended if somebody prays in public. And it breaks my heart that I ministered to a lot of people and a lot of them, they're gone. And I don't understand that. I, I honestly don't, because I don't want to go anywhere. I, I made that choice like with song that we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. And what was it? We sang this morning a song about the, the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about how that he's, he's leading, leading me and guiding me and directing me. And if they experienced that, did they reach a point whereby they said, you know what, Holy Spirit, you're so stupid. I don't think you know what you're doing. I'm going to go find me another spirit. To I don't understand that. How can you just walk away? Maybe they never experienced it. I hope that's true because the Bible says that if they really experienced it and turned away, there's no coming back. That's the line that's in the sand. That's the line of apostasy. That's the line of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the line where Jesus says one sin is unforgivable and that's it. And he talks about it in the book of Hebrews. Otherwise, if they never really, really experienced this, then there's a place for them if God peradventure would have mercy to where they could grant repentance. Like with Judah and Israel, some of them could come back even though they'd turned away. But anyways, the, the point that I'm making here is that the Holy Spirit is a person in which we should have a personal relationship with. He's not some invisible force, some invisible power, something that's universally all over. My wife and I like to go out to Arizona 
One of the towns out there is called Sedona, the Red Rock country. And they talk about how that if you go out there and you get alone out in the mountains, you can feel the vortex. <laughs> and what they're talking about is you can feel the spirit moving. I don't, you, know, you say, what's it like? I don't know. I'm not going to get into all that Eastern religion junk. I don't need that. I got the real thing. He's in my heart. That's what I'm saying. You can't have a personal relationship with a force or with a power. You can't. I wrote, tried to think of some things and I wrote them down here. I mean, can you, for example, I guess I'm on the wrong page, but can you have a personal relationship with an electric socket? It's power. You lay down there and talk to it, oh, you look good today. I'm glad you're turned on and you can empower this, this, that, and the other. <laughs> well, that's only because you don't follow safety rules, you know. You should have learned as a little kid you don't walk over and stick your finger in a socket. But even then, you go to stick it in there, it's not going to say, don't do that. The Holy Spirit will. That socket won't. You don't snuggle up to a steam boiler. I remember the last place I worked at a steam boiler and the guys would work on it, but they didn't go out there and pat it and say, come on, baby, let's crank her up today and get steam going through the plant. It's just a machine, a phenomenal force that was there. Phenomenal force in the engines of our car. We may name it for fun, but in reality, you don't open the hood and have a talk with it. Now, you may... <laughs> And it may lead you and guide you, and we can play on that analogy, but come on. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm starting to run out of time, so I'm going to finish what I want to say in 10 minutes. We want, we, what Jesus is saying is, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another person. And he's going to come into your heart to lead you, guide you, direct you, and reveal many things. And he and I are one. In Acts 5, for example, and there are many places, we'll give you this one real quick, and I'll quote it to you. Acts 5 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They said to the church that they had taken this property and they were donating it. They sold it for such and such amount and they were donating all the money to the church. It'd be like saying, for example, maybe you've got some property out in the country, uh, 10 acres, and you, and you stand up and you say, I've got 10 acres, and I'm selling it and donating all the money to the church, and I've got uh, $10,000 an acre, so I'm giving $100,000. But in reality, you sold the acreage for not 10000 but 20000 but you and kept 100000 for yourself, but you're not going to let anybody know that. You want to make it sound like you're a full 100% giver. Well, that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. And then they were, their lie was exposed. And Peter makes this statement in Acts chapter 5. Of course, you know God judged them for that. But Peter says to them, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? He lied to the Holy Spirit that was in each believer in that church. While, while it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not thine own? Why have you conceived this? 
thing in thine heart. Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. They lied to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is God. So we know the Holy Spirit is deity. He's the third person of the triunity. The Holy Spirit, and I'm going to sum this up real quick. My emphasis is, listen to me. You need to develop a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit that is from within. You say, well, how do I do that? You thirst for it. You thirst for it. If you really want it, you'll get it. He'll, he'll talk to you. He'll show you. There's been so many times I've had people that would call me, kids, my kids, my family or other members, and ask me what was God's will about a certain thing. And as I talk to them, I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not God. I can counsel you and kind of point you in a direction, but you've got to figure this out on your own. That's why he was sent. He didn't send me. He sent the Holy Spirit. And he's much more reliable than I am, much more knowledgeable than I am. I'm not going to become a crutch to you. You don't want that. When, when people hire ministers and they want to hire a counseling service to whereby every problem they come up with, they can go talk to a man. Why? You've got given to you the source of the greatest wisdom and knowledge of the world. Why do you want a man? That's a broken cistern. Isn't it? Come on. Give me, you know what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit is, is revealed to us in the scriptures as having intelligence, as having a will, as expressing or showing emotion. I mean, rocks, bicycles, flowers, oak trees, computers, you name it, man-made things. They, they don't have any of that. They're just things. And that's what Jeremiah was saying. Why do you follow after rocks, stocks, and trees? That stuff's nothing. Don't go with that. Learn to establish a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit from within. And he will lead you and guide you and direct you. He it is that you'll worship in spirit and truth. And he it is that will give you that living water and bless your life. Well, let me close by just pointing some of these things out. And I'll close. Did it again. But I believe God, I know I've done what God wanted me to say. The Holy Spirit, I'd like you to look at this one, 1 Corinthians 2.10. We won't read all these scriptures, but 1 Corinthians 2.10. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as having intelligence because he refers to the Holy Spirit's knowledge in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.10. Let's back up a little bit. Verse 9 says, As it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. In other words, you must have intelligence to be able to know these things and search these things and reveal these things. He says the Spirit of God's doing that. For what man knows the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him, that is, your mind and your knowledge, your intellect. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, we're talking about the mind of Christ, we're talking about the mind of the Lord. 
This is why when it comes to prayer, for example, that, that we pray and we talk to God, we're, we're listening to and talking to the Holy Spirit. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that is going to reveal God's life and plan and answers for our life. Now, we have to be careful. We have to test the Spirit. And you test the Spirit by asking, is this in agreement with the Bible? Is this leading in a path and direction of righteousness? I mean, you know, a person that comes along and says, well, I prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit told me that I should marry my closest friend. And even though I'm a man and he's a man, the Holy Spirit said that was okay. No, it's not. It's not a path of righteousness, and it is not in line with the Word of God. And the Bible tells us to test the spirits. That's another message. But, yes, you can. when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he's not going to use a different tone. He isn't going to have a different accent. He speaks to your spirit. He speaks to you. You are going to understand a lot of it by, by it being your conscience. Your conscience, when you know what is right and you know what is wrong, that is a built-in God system. That's the image of God built in from within to say, don't do that or do do that. But it's only yes and no. It's not, it's not other than that. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to give us more than that. And so he will reveal things to us the deep things of God, and he will give us, impart unto us wisdom and many, many other things. I'll keep reading. He says, We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, verse 12, that we might know the things that are given to us of God. Which things we speak, not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches Comparing spiritual with spiritual. See, the Holy Spirit's teaching, not just a mere influence or power. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. I mean, they are. And that's why a lot of Christians, they're afraid to be called a fool. They're afraid to be looked upon as a fool. They want to be like everybody else. But listen, when you establish a personal relationship with him, let him be a fool. You'll know in your heart, this is what he wants you to do or know. And then you're given an opportunity to take a stand for what is right. He says, neither can they know him because things need to be spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of known man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have, he says, the mind of Christ. Now, I, I'm not going to keep going on it, but we, the point is the Holy Spirit has been sent to direct us and guide us and do everything Jesus was doing as a man when he walked with the disciples. He's the one that took the place. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has a will. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Many places we could show you this. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. This is where... When he wants to speak to the church through a vessel other than Mike or a vessel other than Nathan and Melody, and he wants to speak to the church, he's given gifts to the church as a whole. And he wants to anoint you 
to whereby you can speak a word of encouragement or a word of admonition or a word of, of to just honor and glorify him. And doesn't, doesn't that be a prophecy? It can also be things like the other gifts or even just um, a song, a psalm, an exhortation. But the gifts are spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but he makes the spirit... The distinction here, he says, now there are, verse 4, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but the same God, which worketh all in all. And the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And if you drop down to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, it says... These all work that one and the selfsame spirit divides to every man severally as he wills. He has a will. So he's going to impart these gifts according to his will. And all we need to do is be an open vessel. And if it's his will for you to speak to the church or, uh, you know, in one of these gifts, he's going to speak to you and say, I want you to share this. And then you proceed to share it. Now, there's many other places I've written down these different scriptures where you can see them. I won't take the time to look them up, but it's where the Holy Spirit was directing and guiding the early church in every decision that they made. I mean, even when they had an important decision, they wouldn't vote on it. The church isn't a democracy. It's a theocracy where God is in charge. They didn't vote on it. They all sought to come to a oneness of mind about decisions and choices. And if everybody was sincerely wanting what the Holy Spirit wanted and not concerned about the world and what they thought and what they wanted, they came to a oneness of mind. And lastly, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll give you one more scripture and let you go home. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. There's a lot of things that could be said here. But it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a plant. You can't grieve a car engine. You can't grieve something that's a mere influence or power or, you know, that's a Star Wars thing, you know. I'm going to pray to the Force. I want my help from the Force. That's, that's not... This is not, we're talking about a person that wants to come into our bodies. We're called Temple of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to reside in us to be like what Jesus was when he walked the earth with the apostles and others that when they came into any kind of situation or need or question or problem in their life, he would guide them. He wants to uh, work in us an understanding and a depth of knowledge of his word. And he wants to influence us to whereby we can bring forth the God kind of love, the God kind of joy, the God kind of peace, the God kind of long-suffering, which is called the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it's all about. And when we get caught up in all kinds of Man-made substitutes for that. Jeremiah says, you've rejected the living waters and followed after the broken cisterns. 
Last scripture, Ephesians 4.30. Look at what he says here. And I've got some other scriptures up there. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Boy, we could all hear that one every morning. That it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. If you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit, you grieve a personality. You grieve a person. You grieve a being. You don't grieve a plant. You don't grieve a tree. You don't say, the lawn is going to mow you today, and then the lawn gets angry and says, I like to be long. This is grass. <laughs> it's got life. I'm trying to make a point. Jesus said, I have to go. But when I go, I'll ask the Father, and he's going to send you another so you're not an orphan. He's going to intercede for you, help you, guide you, teach you, direct you. I'm going to come back. But I'm going to come back in the person of the Holy Spirit. So what we as Christians need to see is if he has sent him for that reason, the more we develop that personal relationship with the Holy Spirit from within, the more we can mature and grow and fulfill God's plan in our life. Amen? Now that's a lot to think about. And I just, maybe I'm wrong, but I just think there's a lot of Christians that they have not got that down yet. And so they're following the crowds and following a lot of things, following a lot of men. I appreciate when I was a young Christian, it was real easy to listen to a human voice for direction. And a minister said to me one time, God didn't send me to be your crutch. Listen to him. <laughs> and uh, from that point on, I started taking by faith what I believed was the Holy Spirit. And it has blessed my life abundantly. And I know it will do the same for you. Father, I pray that the, the core of this message would just get in all of our hearts. That we can learn from what you said to Jeremiah. That, that your people had turned away from the Holy Spirit. That was he was with them. But they rejected him. For the things that man came up with, men came up with, they took stocks, racks, and trees and tried to make them look like you. And you mocked them and ridiculed them, but they still wouldn't give them up. Father, let us learn from this lesson that we may, in this end time, fulfill your calling in our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wish I had two hours. God bless.